Let me begin by asking you a question this morning. Is it possible to know God and yet be far from him? Is it possible to know God and yet be far from him? Most Christ followers understand what that means. Perhaps you have had the experience of drifting away from God. You never thought it would happen, but somewhere along the way you made wrong choices and one day you woke up to find that God was far away from you. Now this can happen no matter who we are. We might be a staff member of a church. We might be a committed volunteer. And we can still be a long way from God. We might be a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader or an usher or a member of the choir or a seminary student and still be far away from God. We may have been raised in a Christian home only to grow up and reject our heritage. We may have been deeply hurt by someone who claimed to be a Christian and that deep hurt has kept us from coming close to God. Perhaps we made a decision that led us in the wrong direction and now we find ourselves a long way from home. Something like that happened to Naomi. Ten years have passed since she and her husband and their two sons left Bethlehem for the fields of Moab. They left because of the famine, intending to stay for a while until it ended, and then they would go back home. Their intentions were good, but nothing worked out as they intended. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and then her two sons died. So what do we do when life shatters our dreams and leaves us with a broken heart? See, we find the answer to that question in Ruth chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. Now, the Hebrew text contains a word that is, appears multiple times in this passage, and it's a word that simply means turn or return. When this word is used, it could mean literally to turn as in I'm driving west and I have to turn around and I'm now driving east. But it also can mean to turn around spiritually. I'm turning back to the Lord. Now that word has both meanings in this passage. When Naomi starts her journey back to Bethlehem, her hometown, she is traveling from east to west thus reversing the journey that she and Elimelech took 10 years earlier to Moab. But she's also turning her life around in a spiritual sense. After living in this pagan land for a decade, she now returns to her own people and to the God of the Bible. It's a journey that is both literal and spiritual, in which a bruised believer makes a long journey back home. Let's trace the steps that she takes on the way from Moab to Bethlehem. And we need this message because sooner or later, most of us or someone we know will take this same journey. Step number one, start where you are. As our story opens today, Naomi has several choices in front of her. She can stay in Moab where she will be a perpetual stranger in that case, Orpah and Ruth will probably remarry Moabite men, or she, can, uh, she and the two women could move to another land, uh, but where would they go? Or she could return to Bethlehem. 
to be among her own people. The decision is made for her when some good news arrives. Look at verse 6. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughter, daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Now with the famine over, the way is clear for Naomi to return home. But what will Orpah and Ruth do? Life would be hard. Hard for a Jewish widow in Bethlehem. Hard enough, but it would be much worse for two young Moabite widows without husbands who would protect them from the men seeking to take advantage of foreign women, who would feed them, who would clothe them, who would shelter them. You see, God's uh, good intentions are not enough in the face of their actual human needs. So these young widows would be a burden to Naomi, a burden that she could not bear. It would be better for them to return to Moab. In thinking that way, Naomi was not being unkind. She felt empty already. Why drag these younger widows deeper into her misery? Now someone reading this story may think that Naomi doesn't sound very spiritual at this point. She only decides to return to Bethlehem after she hears that the Lord ended the famine and provided food for his people. Perhaps that's not enough for some of us, but her reasoning is sound. If the famine is over, why not go back to Bethlehem? Why stay in Moab where she was never really at home anyway? At least she's back among the place of, in the place of blessing. And that's a good start. So no doubt both Orpah and Ruth intended to go to Bethlehem and start over in this new land. But Naomi warns them to think hard about what that would mean for them. She was far too old to have any more sons that they could marry. And even if that could happen, the women wouldn't and shouldn't wait around for those sons to grow up. So when Naomi urges them to go back home, she expresses a wish that they might experience the Lord's kindness. Look at verse 8. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. Now the Hebrew word is hesed, which means loyal love. It's an Old Testament way of looking or talking about the grace of God. It was like saying, as you showed grace to the dead and to me, may God now show grace to you. Deeply discouraged, Naomi reasons like this. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I got married tonight, even if I had more sons, who would wait for them to grow up so they could marry them? Even if all of that were possible, These young widows would never wait for that to happen. But Naomi's bottom line comes in verse 13, where she declares, things are far more bitter for me than they are for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. She 
She's telling Orpah and Ruth, don't stay with me because everything in my life has turned to dust. She feels like the Lord has brought her to nothing, brought her nothing but trouble, famine, exile, death, widowhood, childlessness. She thinks that the Lord has become her enemy. She sees darkness behind and darkness ahead, and that's why she thinks these two young widows would be far better off going back to their own homes. Now Orpah took Naomi's advice, and she returned to Moab, never to be heard from again. She steps off the biblical stage and vanishes over the horizon. Naomi speaks from a broken heart, and as she walks the road back to Bethlehem, it feels to her as if she has no future at all. The prodigal son, you remember that story in Luke's Gospel, the 15th chapter? The prodigal son must have had some similar thoughts. As he made that lonely trek from the far country back to his father's house, he assumed that by his foolish choice, he had forfeited his right to be his father's son. And he imagined himself saying these words to his father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please just take me on as a hired servant. What a tremendous statement that is. He didn't make any deals with his father. He came back home with no conditions. He didn't say, you know, you have to give me exactly what I had before, or I'm not coming back. I want the fortune that I lost. You have to replace it. It's not my fault. But that's not real repentance. He was so embarrassed about the way he had lived that he said, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've disgraced you. If you take me back, I'll work like a hired hand. It won't even, you don't even have to call me your son anymore. See, real repentance doesn't make deals with God. But just as the prodigal son underestimated his father's heart, Naomi understand, uh, underestimates the, the, uh, the father's heart, God the father's heart. And so it may be with some uh, who hear these words. If our foolish choices have taken us far away from God and if those choices have wasted too many of our days, we may doubt God's willingness to take us back. But my encouragement is doubt no more. I ran across a simple statement that speaks to this issue. It says, regret means we've learned from our mistakes. Regret means we've learned from our mistakes. If we regret our past, if we know we've messed up, and if, we tried, uh, if we're tired of living among the pagans, so to speak, we can always come home. It's as simple as starting the journey back. It will take time, it will take effort, but we don't have to stay in Moab. We can come back to Bethlehem, the place of blessing, anytime we're ready for life to change. That's step one. But step two is to count the cost. When Orpah left, why did Naomi try to, uh, why did she try to convince Ruth to return to Moab with her? The answer is not hard to find. She knew about the long-standing animosity between the Jews and the Moabites, which it meant uh, that that could be hazardous for this young Moabite widow to suddenly show up in Jewish territory. Naomi wasn't going to have any more children. 
She couldn't guarantee Ruth would find a husband and thus a place of safety among her Jewish neighbors. And if Ruth went to Bethlehem, she certainly would not be welcomed. Her words remind me of Jesus urging his disciples to count the cost of following him. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus put the matter in stark terms. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. In her own way, Naomi understood what Jesus later would talk about. She doesn't want Ruth thinking that life is going to be easy. Life for a Jewish widow was hard enough, but it would be infinitely harder for a young widow from Moab. And as an outsider, she had no hope, no citizenship. She is an alien in the land of promise. And that's what makes her words in verses 16 and 17 so amazing. Here's Ruth's reply. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Now these words or part of them are often quoted in wedding ceremonies. Maybe you've heard them. But they first applied to a daughter-in-law who was committing herself to her mother-in-law. In New Testament terms, this is Ruth's conversion. She not only commits herself to Naomi, but she commits to Naomi's people and to Naomi's God. Her commitment is personal, it's voluntary, it's complete. And after saying these words, why would she go back to Moab? Now this is remarkable when you consider Ruth is, has nothing to gain by going to Bethlehem with Naomi. She faces the prospect of poverty and rejection, and at this point, she's not thinking about marriage. Far from the matter, she doesn't even know a man by the name of Boaz exists. That's hidden in the future, which means she attaches herself to Naomi for love's sake, nothing more. And Ruth the Moabite has more faith than Naomi the Jew. How striking that this amazing commitment comes not from an insider to the Jewish faith, but from an outsider. Her faith is incredible. Her commitment to Naomi goes beyond time and place and ethnic background. She who knew so little understands God's heart more than Naomi, who knew so much more about the Jewish faith. And with that statement, Ruth binds herself to Naomi forever, which is why Naomi is now speechless. Verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. What can you say to love like that? The time for argument is over. Whatever Naomi, wherever Naomi goes, Ruth is going to be by her side. Here's step three. 
go back to the place of blessing. When the two women finally arrive in Bethlehem, it's big news. The whole town was stirred by Naomi's return. Bethlehem in those days was not just a town, it was a little town, to use the phrase from the popular Christmas carol. Do you remember that? A little town of Bethlehem. It was more like a tiny village where everyone knew everyone else. If we assume Elimelech came from a distinguished family, his leaving would have been big news. But Naomi's return with Ruth by her side was even bigger news. Did the townspeople know what had happened in Moab? Probably not. If they didn't, they would have been shocked to see Naomi come back without a husband. And what about her two sons? What happened to them? And who is this strange young woman who's by her side? I'm sure the women of Bethlehem never expected to see Naomi again. They were pleased. They were surprised all at the same time. And this is how Naomi sums up her time in Moab. Look at verse 19. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made my life bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Kind of get a glimpse of the inner state of Naomi, don't we? When she tells the other women not to call her Naomi, which means pleasant one, but call me Mara, which means bitter. And who is responsible for this miserable state? And she makes it very clear, God is. Four times, she says, he made me very bitter. He brought me back empty. He opposed me. He afflicted me. In one sense, this is Good theology, because Naomi still believes in the sovereignty of God. The bitter pain she experienced in Moab has bruised her faith, but it has not destroyed her faith. If she complains, at least she put, up, put her complaints in the right place. She put them at the doorstep of heaven. It is God who has done this, and it is God with whom she must deal. Naomi has no inkling of what is about to happen. She's not thinking about Boaz and how someday he will marry Ruth. It's not even on her radar screen. uh, Here is a believing woman who returns home in utter defeat. God has dealt with her harshly, and so she thinks, uh, and, and she doesn't see the bigger picture yet. And that raises a key question. Can we return to God and still harbor bitter feelings? Can we come back to God and still harbor feelings like Naomi? If we answer no, it means we haven't suffered very much. If you have, if you have known great loss, then you understand Naomi's heart. She is a bruised believer, and those bruises will take a long time to heal. Now the passage ends on a note of hope. Look at verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, 
the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. That means two things. One, the famine is over. And two, a new chapter in this story is about to unfold. At this point in the story, Naomi sees only the bitter part, but sweetness will come later. You know, there's uh, some words written by a hymn writer, William Cowper, that come to mind as we reach the end of Ruth chapter 1. And in this great hymn, one of the verses says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Naomi has seen the frown, but very soon the clouds are going to part, and she will see the smiling face of God. But she has to make this long journey back to Bethlehem first. Perhaps someone will read this story and say, you know, she seems pretty bitter, and that much is true. But there is more that we must consider. As long as she stayed in Moab, she was out of the will of God. At least she has the faith to come to make this long journey back home to the place of blessing. Was she embarrassed? If so, we could hardly blame her because she left full and she returned empty. But at least she came home. And that's the real message of this first chapter of Ruth. She returned to the place of blessing. We all make foolish choices in life that put us sometimes in bad situations. We've all tried to uh, sojourn in the land of Moab, so to speak. We've entered a wrong relationship. We moved when we should have stayed. We've given up too soon. We say something foolish that breaks up a friendship. We try a shortcut that gets us in trouble. We dabble in sin thinking it's not going to hurt us. Or we yield to our passions and end up in the muck and the mire of defeat. And the question is not have we sinned because the answer is always yes. The question is what are we going to do about it? After we have finished criticizing Naomi for her bad attitude, let's give her the credit she deserves. At least she had the good sense to go back to Bethlehem. She is a bruised believer who sees no hope for a better future, but she has not given up on God, even though she feels that he's turned against her. And the story reminds us that God's grace far exceeds our sin. When we do our worst, God does his best. When Christ died, his blood covered all of our sins, including the ones that embarrass us the most. So don't give up on God just because things may have gone badly for you. Don't turn away because you may have made some wrong turns in your life. Your sin cannot cancel out God's grace. As one person put it, God doesn't consult our past to determine our future. And thank God that's true. And it's just as true for us as it was for Naomi. God doesn't consult our past to determine our future. 